I'm in Empire State South, my restaurant in Midtown Atlanta. I'm sitting with a rude friend of mine who is a very established baker. His name is Chris Wilkins, and he has Root Baking here in Atlanta, which used to be in Charleston. And uh, Chris, good to have you here. Good to be here, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Regale me with the wisdom of how the hell you became a baker. Because <laughs> you, uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're really, I mean, not the bakers aren't really super right people, but you're, you're a man of weird, crazy, odd knowledge. Yeah. And trivia. Yeah. Well, that's Chris is really good at trivia. So how did you become a baker? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, jeez. You fell into it, didn't you? Fell what into does it. that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it means, but every baker does fall into it. Like anytime you ask a baker how they became a, it's like specifically bread bakers too. Like pastry chefs actually like seek out being pastry chefs and bread bakers always like, well, I was just kind of doing this thing and then I floated into it and then all of a sudden here I am baking bread for a living. Uh, so basically what I was, long story short, I was uh, in graduate school in Indiana University and I decided that, uh, yeah. Go Hoosiers. Yeah. Hey, listen, don't. You was sit- that in the Bobby Knight era? I was not there during Bob Bob Knight's reign. No chairs thrown at you. I don't, I'll, listen, if you want to have a discussion about Bob Knight, I'll have a discussion about Bobby uh, we'll Knight. We'll get to Bob yeah, Knight. We, I, have I, a, we have a shared love because, of basketball. Yeah, but I also, I'm troubled by my uh, relationship with Bobby, so I, we'll, we'll get there, I guess. Is but, it on the rocks? Yeah. Did you guys just fall he's, into he's a relationship a big, a like big, you fell into baking? <laughs> no, no. We have no relationship. I, I, I want to be on the record i have no relationship with bobby knight he is a huge trump guy uh i respect his basketball genius anyway we're getting we're getting yeah no no sorry basketball genius but back to baking so you're in bloomington and bloomington is the place where you first got into baking well i grew up like kind of in the um pizza industry and uh i uh i grew up kind of in the pizza industry a little bit which sounds kind of crazy but like now my, explain that because you mentioned that sort yeah, of weirdly yeah, before sure. like you're the member of a mafia, mafia. So family. Now, well, every time i minute, say that wait a minute i do have to stop this because okay uh, chris how tall are you six two six two six three he, uh, yeah. not that italian people are in any means uh, on the shorter side of life they seem to be very average but chris no. has bright red hair yeah uh which is not exactly yeah. what you think of as an Italian person. Yeah. Uh, well, but there you are. Well, they look like so everybody, of course. Yeah, well, it's on my mom's side. At any rate, so uh, I guess uh, my godfather um, was... Uh, the godfather? Yeah, the godfather. Okay, mm-hmm. your godfather real, is a pizzeria no, guy. <laughs> well, no, he was, a pizza, he was a pizza supply guy. Pizza and supply. So, yeah, yeah. So if you were like... I'm from upstate New York, uh, western New York, the Finger Lakes. Rochester? I'm not from Rochester, no, but I'm from... Uh, Buffalo? A, no, I'm from a small town outside Rochester. What's it called? Penyan, New York. Penya? Penyan. Penyan. Yeah, Penyan, New York, and Bath, New York are the places I lived. Um, any rate. So, so the Godfather's on Pizzeria Supply. Towns on Cuckoo Lake. And yeah, Pizza Supply, Southern Tier Provisions. And uh, So they sell food or they just sell like yeah, so paddles you, and boxes? Yeah. <laughs> You're giving me the most judgmental look right now. I know, no, it's not. I'm just trying to <laughs> get into great. this. Uh, okay, so I here's, don't know how here's, the pizza business works. <laughs> so every time I've told this story, people think I am like some mobbed-up person. I'm not. So here's the thing: if you had a pizzeria, don't look at me. Look at right. Look, look, just look at okay, somewhere else. So, so if you had a pizzeria and you uh, need sauce and cheese and you know whatever they buy else. sauce they flour don't make sauce? yeah lots lots of pizzerias like buy sauce like like tomatoes okay, and, or okay, tomatoes yeah, yeah. How, about, how about that you know tomatoes or, or cheese you know from like polio which is like there's like a polio factory near where i grew up um you would buy it from like you know it's like a like you said of, polio like it's like uh polio, kind polio of Italian, cheese but that's like the like p-o-l-l-y <laughs> dash o it's, it's like the parent. most americanized <laughs> yeah, italian yeah. cheese ever oh there's like a factory polio, uh, polio. Yeah. well that's how everyone says you it. were like paulio <laughs> paulio <laughs> i did say that. you did you did <laughs> Wait, I, okay. will, I will rewind this cool later. all right so here's what we're getting this is the longest story ever so here's what happens if you if you need like like if you if you buy tomatoes in atlanta you call like a distributor right so you call a supplier right, right? right. okay so imagine that but for pizza okay. and that's what i got anyway like the first job i ever had was like washing like uh the, the big rig trucks you know Yep. For uh, for my godfather and like helping out in the deli and stuff like that. So anyway, I grew I kind of grew up around that part of the food, which is not food. Like I, I never really worked in restaurants. I don't really care for restaurants that much. And so I liked I liked the 
like I, that was my favorite job ever. Like it just like it felt like a clubhouse. It felt kind of yeah. I was like 13, 14, 15 years old, right? But so that's not like, bread. I mean, that's dope. No, no, it's yeah, not bread it's at all. That's just not bread at all. But it was, but it was like you were just in this world of like. I, I don't know. I, I liked that part of the food world, so I was like drawn to pizzerias and like you know. Anyway, yada yada. Fast forward a million years or whatever, and so now I'm in Indiana, and I didn't want to become an academic. I uh, thought that was a pretty boring way to live a life, and so yeah, I decided. Well, I'm gonna, my wife, my now wife, was uh, in pharmacy school in Vermont, and I was in Indiana, and I needed to buy airfare, so I got a job at a bakery um, while I was just going to school to buy plane tickets and I you know I liked it a lot and so applied for a job out in Vermont when I left graduate school and uh, got a job in this great so bakery so what, what was the bakery in Bloomington it's not there anymore it was called jeez uh, uh, Sweet Sweet Claire's, I think, something like that. Sweet Sweet Claire's. Oh, no, not just one sweet. Uh, no, yeah, I, I was just, I, I was just I mean, you can call it through, Sweet it sounds Sweet just Claire's. Sweet on. I mean, it's Sweet <laughs> Sweet, sweet, sweet. That's another business, Yeah, I think. You you said it sort of just creepily, it's, <laughs> which is cool. Paulio. <laughs> which is fine. Paulio. But anyway, I got this job. I got this job in a bakery in Vermont, which is like a, I didn't and know this at the time. At University of Vermont, Montpelier? Nikki, yeah, no, she was at um, this pharmacy school in, what in city Burlington. Is in Burlington, Vermont. In Burlington. Yeah, and so she was there, and so I got a job in a really great bakery. Um, but I didn't know it was a great. I, I thought it was, looked the bread was beautiful, and little did I know that my boss there was like, you know the, you know the Christmas Carol, you know where he goes yeah. like works for Fezziwigs. It's like this great boss who like takes care of his people and throws like the best Christmas parties. That's what it sort of felt like at that bakery. Like I learned a ton. It was like. It was like finishing school for like learning how to be a baker. So is there a Scrooge baker? Like to de- counter de- that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I worked for him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I worked so for this, him for this, sure. This guy is the, the most amazing baker. Yeah, like, like Barack human. Obama like invited him to the White House because he was that good of a business owner. Like seriously, this is like he's an incredible baker. And he's like and a pioneer in local grain, use the use of local grains and whole grains and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of the – so they were gristing their own – they were not milling, no, but they were buying a lot of local flour, okay. um, and which was like, and when they started, they started twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, and it was like unheard of at the time. So, so now, so you worked there, yeah. Then what was the next step? I worked for a guy named Gerard Rubeau, which is um, he's like legendary. Is he the he's definitely the Scrooge. Yeah, he's he passed away a few months back, but no, maybe, we can maybe talk bad about him now. Well, <laughs> too early? Too yeah, early. it might be. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, Yeah, someday. Oh, jeez. There's definitely a book about Gerard. Any baker listening to this, any bread baker, serious bread baker listening to this, definitely knows of him. Um, he's a notorious, and if you're in the Northeast, you definitely heard of him. He's a notorious sort of, he was but, a notorious sort of grump and an incredible baker. Like, yeah, I was there when Sever. I was just yeah. about to say that, that we often so, learn from the demons of the world yeah. some good technique. But it was, boy. no, I learned a lot from him, a ton. And I, we had some of the greatest conversations I've ever had with a human being with that guy. But he had these two dogs who would, like, howl. Every, he was, <laughs> he, we only listened to, like, uh, free French radio out of Montreal. And so his dogs, they play the national, Canadian National Anthem every day at 5 a.m. And so his dogs would start howling at the, at the anthem, and then they stopped when it stopped. And, and so if you walked in late, because if, if you walked in after the howling stopped, he would scream. He that would, you were late? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, quite yeah. a way of uh, it was just getting me. welcomed every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. French just, Canadian National Anthem and these two Howling dogs. Labradors, yeah. And then they would, like, harass the llamas. So we'd get all these phone calls from, like, the... Uh, Harass the llamas. There's a llama farm, like by the bakery. It was like a farm. He had like this little baker and a farm that he owned. And like the guy from like Fish had a house like across the mountain from him. Like it was like really nice. And so like which there guy was, from Fish? The, the main no, dude, whatever his name is. Dude, I don't know anything about that yeah, world. That's Fish P H I S H. Yeah, can not, look them up if you're into jam bands. Yeah. So I don't know anything about that stuff, but like, but basically, we had like a llama farm. There was a llama farm, like. You know. so, so do you say llama farm? It, Automatically, I'm thinking Vermont. 
Yeah, that's where it was. It was in Vermont. Just yeah. seems yeah, like yeah, for sure. Yeah, Pollock, it's like yeah, it's beautiful, right? Outside Burlington. And he had this dog that would go harass the llamas, and so Gerard was convinced they would call the town would like call Gerard and be like, you know, get your dog out of here. And he'd be like, I can't help it if my dog has a lover <laughs> on the llama farm, and he just would do stuff like that, right? He would just like. Was the dog in love with another llama or a dog at the llama farm? He Gerard made it sound to me as if the Max Max was... the dog was in love with a llama. Yes. You've heard me correctly, yeah. So, you think that's possible? Not I, like Hugh. I'm not in the business of telling who to not love. Not biologically. <laughs> I'm, listen, man. I think you love. Who you, I think you love who you love. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, Vermont. Good, the, Vermont yeah. is a very accepting state, and I think that's great. You know. So if you're Max the dog, live your life. It's very independent. That yeah, way. for sure. So, but Gerard taught you a lot about bread. What's, he did. what's what? What's the biggest takeaway from working with somebody like Gerard? Respect for the craft, absolutely. Respect for the craft, right? It is a craft. It's such and a- also and also like a precision. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, but, yep. is, but a precision that is like, um, he gave me two of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. Frankly, and I hated him when I worked for him. I hated him, but I one piece of advice he gave me was that you know he made 144 loaves every day except Sunday, right, by himself. So it's just me and him. And I remember he told me, like, I, I had messed up a few loaves or something, and as I was wont to do, because I didn't, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing, but not really when I, had, when I took that job. And uh, he, t- he screamed to me and whatever, whatever, and he told me, it's like, this is, I make I make 144 loaves. Like, you can only mess up one. Like, that that is your, like, basically call rate is what you would call it, or, you know, that's that's the, the margin of error for us. Like, I need to sell that. That could be the difference between me. That $8 I get from that loaf of bread is the difference between our profit and our you know, our loss or whatever. Breaking even. I'm breaking even. Yeah, right. And so I, having, having like the, he, every love had to be perfect, right? And of course they're not all going to be, but like that, the mindset that like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well get them all right. And the smaller I do it, the more I have to get right. So I need to get, uh, I need to focus, right? So he had, a, he had like a, an intensity and a focus that was, in my opinion, so what's, what's that first piece of advice then that, it all matters. Like it all matters. Everyone matters. matters. It, every yeah, every love matters, and and we have to like your all of your attention. The reason he's a told, he told me like the reason he bakes in the middle of an apple orchard in Vermont is that like to focus on the bread because he was obsessed. He was obsessed. He had, he ate the same meal every day. He slept like a few times, like like Kramer when Kramer did that from Seinfeld. Like he thought like Da Vinci slept like five minutes. <laughs> for every hour so he Gerard actually did that though <laughs> so he would get like these little cat naps in the bakery and um that's true and uh he's obsessed with baking he's obsessed with bread right and so what was his second piece of advice the second piece of advice he gave me was that you should always take a job that feels a little bit above you and rise to it that's great advice. It's great advice. Yeah, it was. It, I, again, I did not like this man, and I felt way over my head. And yeah, I, but even but people it, but you don't was, like, I mean, no, I learned a ton. It sounds like he wasn't nice, but he probably wasn't a demagogue. But yeah, maybe he was a bit of one. Who knows? Okay, so you go from Vermont. I met Tom. I met uh, I met Tom Leonard. So my, I went. I, I quit Gerard because I he didn't pay me, to be honest with you. And so I, I crawled back to my old. My my Fezziwig boss Randy George is his name. I should I should say that out loud because he's an incredible human being and a friend now. I'm like Randy, can I have a job, please? I I'm desperate. I'll do anything. He gives me my old job back, and you know. And then he asked me, he's like, Have you heard of this fellow named Tom Leonard? He's opening a bakery in Athens, Georgia. And I know you're you're not gonna stay in Vermont forever, so so anyway, I, I met Tom Leonard, and Tom Leonard asked me if I wanted to help open a bakery in Athens, which and became Tom is a uh, amazing human who owns. Um... Uh, a bakery that Chris helped opened up, and Chris is actually still a, a part owner of that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yep. Independent Baking in Athens, Georgia, which uh, um, it was a game changer in Athens because really bread production was uh, there was no good bakery in Athens before Independent, and Independent's done a really amazing job. But but Tom's legacy in the world. Tom's of a legend. Baking yeah, he's is, a legend. Uh, touch on that a he's, little bit. He's a legend. I mean, there's there's. We like so bread is like its own little niche of a niche. Food food is a niche, right? And bread is a niche inside that. And then like the kind of baking that we do at Root or that Tom does is like whole grain, natural leavening, local fresh milled. That's like an even smaller niche. And so like there's only a few folks and we all know each other. But Tom, in the wider baking circles, is very well known and respected for being the guy. He's like uh, 
he's done his life is incredible uh he's done a million different things but also he's he is the guy that helped put whole grain baking and natural leavening in the minds of like uh you know what the current the current generation of American bakers who do this stuff. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is so funny that we do, we kind of do take it for granted now that uh, I mean just we take it for granted that our bread is made out of good flour, um, yeah. and that is not really usually the case. Um, but ex- let just talk about and Chris at Root Baking and Tom at Independent Baking both have milling operations within. Tom's is somewhat separate from the bakery, but still a big mill. Mm-hmm. And then you have a very specific type of mill within Root where yep. you're – what are you doing with that mill? You're milling all your own flour. Yeah, yeah. we mill. We, we don't mill all our own flour, so we mill we mill a lot of our own flour. Uh, but we, if, if we milled all our own flour, I wouldn't be able to make enough bread to, frankly, pay the rent So because um, it just takes so long. So Tom and I have the same mill. It's made by a fellow up in Vermont. Um, named uh, Andrew, a place called uh, Elmore Mountain Baking. Andrew Hain is his name. He makes these beautiful mills. They're like they're built for bakers essentially. It's stone mill with you know from, with granite that comes from you know Barrier, Vermont. And he he builds these mills himself, and they're gorgeous and they are incredibly effective. And they are beautiful pieces yeah, of machinery. They, they look like modern they, they, art a little bit. They are like modern wood art and then yeah. the stones inside. Um, but so, yeah, sorry, it's a good answer to your question. Yeah. Well, what was my question? What what kind of, what are we doing with the mill? So, yeah, well, yeah, what are you doing with the mill? Right. So I guess what we're doing with the mill then is, is so my thesis on baking is that flour doesn't really taste like anything unless it's fermented. You know, so if you, if you took your finger into a, bag of flour and rubbed it in your gums like a, a cop in like an 80s movie or something you wouldn't taste anything except like kind of sawdust you know uh, and so there's no flavor there really you know and and so i think my thesis is that the way to unlock the flavor of any kind of grain is to ferment it right to make that to make those sugars so available you're fermenting before milling we're fermenting after we mill but we've but okay. my but the, i mean just a fermentation process of like le- like natural leavening yeah exactly starters yeah but the the other half of that the other half of that is that I think that it is my belief that like each grain each variety of grain all they all taste a little bit different when fermented right like spelt tastes different than rouge de Bordeaux rouge de Bordeaux tastes a little bit different than you know it's a lot different than rye of course but like the way we unlock these flavors is to ferment those freshly milled things ferment those flours at the peak at the height of flavor right which is just off the mill in my opinion and so that's why we do it we 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 mill all of our starters are are freshly milled, um, and, and then wonder bread, not so much. Not no, no. So what's AP flour? AP flour is all-purpose flour. And well, I know that, but I mean <laughs> well, white AP flour. Well, yeah. In, all, my, in my basic understanding is, it's stripped of all the. Uh, it's like the integral center part of the grain, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. right. Everything else is stripped away. All the bland, yeah, the endosperm, right? Endosperm. So, yeah, yes and no. It, it AP flour sort of gets a bad rap. You know what I mean? I, I think the the thing I'm I'm always wary of doing is sort of evangelizing for just like there's there's a, there's this movement in bakeries with bakeries where there's this really people who are just really hardcore about um, 100% whole grains, and I I think that has a place. Um, but I also think that like a good baguette is AP flour. Something close to AP flour, maybe a little more, a little more speckling in it from the brand. Yep. Um, yeast and uh, water and salt. Like there's not much more to it. And that, that, a great baguette is a pretty magical thing, in, in my opinion. So where, where does the great baguette come from? Is it the skill and it's technique? Te- technique? It's all yeah. technique. I mean, yeah. The thing about you know when we talk about food, you can. There are a lot of chefs who have the ability and maybe necessarily don't have technique to be able to cook something amazingly well. And rely on gussying things up with yeah. ingredients and layers of, of lavishness to things. But bread is just three ingredients. Three ingredients. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, that's it. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah, bakers. I, I find the reason I like baking as much as I do is that we tend to be very straightforward in in almost everything, right? So when we when we give criticisms, they tend to be blunt and without any kind of emotion either way. Like we say, like we pull bread out, it's either good or bad. And it's like, 
there really is no in between. You know, for us, it's like that's that's terrible, but we'll try it again tomorrow, right? And that's and that's behind every criticism that we have of our our own work and our team's work and everything else. And so we tend to be very <laughs> blunt in our critiques of of of, of bread and, and baked goods in general because like there's that's is what it is, right? And there's another day, and we'll try again tomorrow. But the breadth of a bakery, uh, I guess, depends. We we don't really equate the South with a lot of great baking mm. prowess. Uh, I mean, not bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do in pies and cakes and things like mm-hmm. that. But bread, I think, was never the forte of the South. But when we think of like the Northeast and where I'm from, Montreal and Ottawa and Toronto, all those areas has a deep background in bread production. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to me that the, the business model of the bakery in the South is is the very contemporary model. That's what's going to work. So you you make X number of different types of bread. You wholesale bread. Mm-hmm. You also do a full pretty full pastry case. Yep. So what are you selling in the pastry case? You're doing Krista's amazing laminate croissants and things like that that are yeah. outlandishly good. Yeah, so, so ben, Benoiserie is called Any, anything that would fall traditionally, anything proofed that falls like in the pastry wise, typically falls in the realm of a bread baker, right? Yeah. Um, Other really fancy stuff like I I'm, I make really bad cakes. Um, I'm not good at it. I'm Don't not, go to root baking for a cake. No, we won't. We won't make a cake. We'll just say no and recommend you to one of our friends who does a great job with cake, right? Because it's just not really what we're good at and i would so rather you'll have, refuse to make somebody's I wedding cake have, is that what you're I saying i have i have in the past and will in the future because i don't want to ruin your wedding <laughs> That's you know go to the supreme court yeah someone someone will like, well, no, my defense is i don't make i don't make it cakes I don't, I don't want to ruin your special day <laughs> i think i mean i could but you'd have a better cake at Publix, i'm sure okay so back to the sorry uh, yeah no no we're good uh, the, so you're in Athens. You open up Root with Tom. Independent. Uh, yeah, sorry. You open up Independent yeah. with Tom. After that, I met you. Yeah, you met me. I met and you. Chris was uh, <laughs> Chris mastered all the dough uh, and bread baking and all the dessert program and everything at a restaurant that I had for a while called the Florence, yep. which is in Savannah, Georgia. It was short lived because it was on uh, well probably the wrong side of a street uh i don't know we never know that those reasons for failure Arguably. um mm-hmm. and then you and your dear wife nikki moved to charleston charleston yeah. and opened up really? a really interesting concept because this is root baking in its first iteration, iteration. yep and explain that that was because it wasn't it you was, know it's not the it wasn't a a luxo looking bakery no you you i remember you visited i visited yeah that's right so uh, we opened the bakery. Yeah, I mean it was completely bootstrapped in a way that was crazy. So I, people have told me in recently now that like how crazy it was when I presented them with the business model the first time. But basically, we bought, we didn't buy, we we rented this old uh, fireworks stand, <laughs> and which was next to a sign contractor on one side and like a a stonemason on the other. And it was like, but I mean, it was out on the coastal highway. Coastal highway. There was, it was. You would have fifteen minutes from really the middle of Charleston. Yeah, and, and it was. But like, it was. I mean, it was on. It was south of there. Yep. On Highway Seventeen. Yep. It was great. And, but it was also. But it had no retail really. Front no, space. none at all. And it had no. It was just a workshop. So it's basically, like a shotgun shaped workshop. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we, my, the landlord. I'll never forget the landlord. He's a great guy. I, I, I is one of the best landlords I've ever had. He told me, he's like, listen, your rent will be nothing, but you have to do it. <laughs> Man, good luck with this thing. If you can get up to this, if you can get this, like, rezoned, we had to get it rezoned. We had to, like, plant trees to get it rezoned, this whole thing. And so we did it and, you know, got a bank loan for not very much money, to be honest with you, because we kind of bootstrapped the whole thing and did a lot of work ourselves and friends helped us and stuff. And so, you know, and then that's kind of how it happened. And we started selling, I started bringing the bread. I thought, honestly... It sounds really stupid to say this in public, but honestly, I thought like, well, I think people will buy this bread if I just show up. <laughs> if you bake it, it yeah, come. yeah. Which, in retrospect, is so stupid. <laughs> I don't think it's stupid. Well, See, Chris makes like well amazing bread. I well, thank yeah, you, but, but, but I was it was yeah. a it's a very if I was a banker and I met me looking back, I'd be like, no, man. <laughs> but to me, it's really interesting because you went to a town that you didn't really know. No, I didn't. I knew nobody. 
I knew nobody there. I had no connection to but Charleston. But suddenly you cracked into a lot of selling wholesale. Yeah. Um, and that was real. I mean, it was uh, 95% wholesale there. It was wholesale and farmer's markets. Odd, Weirdos really dedicated who would, bread buyer who, who would, would show up at the workshop. Out. Yeah, yeah, we had a, we actually I mean, quite there a was bit. No retail front, so they no, had to they came into they out. came into the workshop. Like we had a lot. We had like regulars who came multiple times a week to get bread. Like we had one guy who like played it played for he played Duke basketball, like, but in like the 1950s, he's a great guy. Christian Leitner? No, not Christian Leitner. A guy named Joe. He's he's a great guy. His his son's like a his son-in-law is are like you, are uh, you a pro Leitner. I don't I don't. I'm from the Northeast, oh, so on. so Duke basketball. Everybody has an opinion. On Christian Leitner? Uh, I'm not a big Duke basketball guy. Yeah, I'm just going great good, player. Good player. Yeah, good player. Prog- that, it's the program. Uh, okay, we're going to get that basketball. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. But, so, so, but we, we, had, we had people that came by. But basically, uh, the concept was, honestly, uh, I, it sounds a little, uh, it's a little bit corny to say this out loud, but, you know, I really thought, like, you know, I will bake bread. This is a very low rent. This is just, you know, a wholesale but workshop, yeah, like, and I will really... take it to the community, and they will support me, and maybe. Did, but they did. <laughs> they did. They did. They was, yeah, they did. I don't think did. that was a silly idea. But, I mean, to, to, to give you a proper visualization, you know, uh, two-lane highway at this point going from sort of island to island, swampy land outside of Charleston, and Chris's Bakery, you could have missed I mean, it used to be a fireworks stand, but it could have been a bait shack uh, and whatever. It's not like there, there, there wasn't parking per se. No. I mean, there was space. We, we for, had to. We had to. You guys we had to travel down. Or we, something. Yeah, we put some. I slag rock. I, I put it down myself. We had to. And we had to install um, <laughs> the uh, what do you call it? The concrete. Um, the concrete uh, wheel stops for parking spaces. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had to put those in. To like. Did we you have, to have do, a handicap spot? Yes, I did. Yeah, even though I had no, but I had no had public no, ass. Well, listen. It's just the, also, the, I, the I, rigmarole I, of small businesses. Yeah, strength, which but, is okay. I mean, those are good lessons. Like, those are great lessons to learn. I mean, well, this is like, I think the most enjoyable businesses I've ever opened are the like that, like just the extraordinarily basic. We got to get this done, punk rocket, and open. You it just up. you just figure it out, which is which is what anybody throughout time has always ever done, right? It's, you just figure it out. I know, but you not know? anymore. Now we're you know, <laughs> or you open don't very convoluted. Crazy expensive yeah, stuff. No, I know. It takes but, way too much time. And but it's okay. But it's, that's okay too. But I think like you know, there's a way in which like I learned how to fix my own equipment. Right. I learned how bakeries work, which is like there's more to there's more to bakeries than just making good bread. And I, I might if I don't I don't, think, a, I, I don't like, think I have any advice for anybody, frankly. But if I did, it would be that making good bread is a, is a terrible reason to open a bakery. Right. Like you know, just just because you make good bread is. A, terrible reason to start a bakery you well know? it's a terrible reason to start a restaurant if I you agree. like cooking <laughs> right i agree like i think i think you i i was seeking out like this sort of like deep understanding of how to build a relationship with a community through food and also how to like frankly build a business i i did never really built but a you did before. build it and i think you they so you're selling mostly at that point in root and charleston you're selling uh 98 percent let's say to restaurants yep. wholesaling yep uh, we got some great restaurant whole, accounts. Yeah. I mean, which is it's an amazing dining city. It's but that's it's also that's another layer of being a baker is suddenly you're delivering, you're carrying credit accounts for people. Some of them pay on time. Oh, yeah. Some of them are just it's don't tough. pay. Yeah, like they just you know think the bread just appears on trees. Yes. Um, so. I mean, well, you're suddenly opening up the Pandora's box of anxiety yeah. in small business. Sure. So how do you get through that? And, well, and then you're also setting up a farmers markets. It's- farmers markets, yeah, yeah. Because that's that's frankly the way to make was money. Was that once a week? It was uh, twice a week. We went to we went to two different farmers markets because basically my model was that of a farmer. I'm, all my friends in Charleston, frankly, were farmers, and a few. I I didn't really hang out with that many chefs to be completely honest with you. We didn't have much to talk about. Um, I hung out with uh, growers, and so like chefs don't have much to talk about. No, I I didn't have much to talk about with a lot of chefs. Like I, I don't, I can't relate to like the stresses of service or like you know kitchen culture. Really, that's not really my world, and not really the world I'm interested you. in. Yeah, I was more interested in like what you're growing and how you're you know what you're planting as cover crop or whatever. You know what I mean? And so like frankly, I know the bakery sounds like it was in a crazy location, but it was like right down the road from Clemson Ag Extension, right, which is where. Brian Ward, the guy who grows, does all the growing t- trials for Anson Mills, he's there. He's one. Of the, he's he's 
one of the most incredible farmers I've ever met. To fill in and to find some stuff. Anson Mills yeah. is a amazing project started years ago by Glenn Roberts. Glenn Roberts is a Southern historian of grain um, and a brilliant, brilliant man. He doesn't really farm himself all that much, but he really. Knows, he knows a lot about farming, though. He knows yeah. a ton yeah. about farming, but really started uh, sort of a cooperative system of. Uh, getting grains like Carolina gold rice and really good strains of corn for grits and flint corns uh, back into uh, the realm of food culture in the south yeah um and so that's so, that's how that's how i mean it, it was a crazy place for a baker and also really wasn't because i was right down the road from farmers people with phds who farmed right and so i could i the kind of baking i do is that kind of baking right i was talking directly to farmers and so it seemed crazy, but the way I saw it at the time, and I think still see it this way, is that I thought Charleston was the best, the best if not one of the best, one of the best food cities in the southeast, right? And so I said, like, if I think I want to make great bread, I want to make it for chefs who are really interested in like using an ingredient that maybe a lot of chefs would just see it as a commodity, right? I want so I knocked on Sean Brock's door and. Uh, you know, Mike Lauda's door and all these guys who I, whose work I respected and who I thought would maybe see this for what I saw it as, right, which was something special, right, using using southern ingredients, using the flavors of the, of the south that I'm not from but I love, frankly, and would do something with it that was interesting and would get the community interested because Charleston is a very chef-driven town in a lot of ways. And so I thought, well, if I can get my rye bread... <laughs> Someone to put some pickled shrimp on my rye bread, I might could make it. You know, um, you did pretty well with that. I did. Where was that dish? Uh, Edmund's Oast. Edmund's I paid my Oast. rent for like six months. They're my only account. <laughs> and when I got them, it's a busy restaurant. They yeah, bought a lot of bread. They they bought a lot of rye bread for pickled shrimp, and it was it was great. It was that was like the breakthrough, right? And so like, and that's how it happens. Like you just meet you meet. I was and to answer your earlier question about like how do you handle like wholesaling and wholesaling to restaurants which are tough to get paid by you know of course uh i tried to only work with chefs who i thought would what i could hang out with and so wouldn't you know stiff me right. you know because they would respect our work enough that feel guilty yeah i can't <laughs> when it was their, your turn to buy them a and, beer and they yeah. hadn't paid you for three months and also you know what like a lot of a lot of the restaurant accounts we had like didn't buy that much, right? They or they or the deliveries would be pretty small, so I'd be delivering like thirty five dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, I know you have thirty five dollars around here, man. Like, come on. <laughs> like, and so, and so, that's how that's how I sort of balanced it. I guess was like I tried to I tried to do business with people who I respected and who I liked and who I thought were professionals. So, after a number of years in Charleston, you decided to move. Um, the bakery, you saw the existing one. Somebody else took it over and opened up another name, yep. which is cool because you retained the name Root Baking Company yes. and opened up uh, in Pont City Market. Yep. In a big space. So, mm-hmm. in this, I just want to talk about how that move went, mm-hmm. how it, the Atlanta market is much bigger and different in ways, and then how developers work. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's interesting, um, in talking about that and yeah, yeah, it, it is really interesting. Uh, I yeah. mean, it, it's just interesting to me and in how how popular. Uh, so, Pont City Hall, for those who don't know what it is, is uh, I think it's the second largest brick building in North America. It's, yeah, and it used to be called City Hall East, and at one point in time, it was the Sears or Macy's. Sears or, Roebuck. Yeah, yeah, massive building on Ponce de Leon Avenue and. Atlanta that uh, has been was purchased a number of years ago by Jamestown Properties, a group out of Cologne, Germany, but um, has a lot of U.S. holdings, and they really turned it into this mixed use. Uh, you know that classic food hall of the modern two thousands, <laughs> that type mm-hmm. of thing. And I guess uh, they were one of the first, though, which is interesting. Is what they they sort of. I mean, there's been a lot of folks like Ponce. Now I think, but I think Ponce was is, well. Chelsea Market was Chelsea, there, right? Enormous. Right, yeah. yeah so it's it's the southern. I think it's sort of I guess the southern equivalent of what Chelsea Market is to New York. Yeah, yeah. But it's well. So you moved yeah. there. Well, so should, what's the impetus for moving? Well, I should be clear that like they asked us. Like I, I don't. I didn't seek out this 
food mall. You know what I mean? I was pretty happy in Charleston that we had like reached a level of like sustainability um, that was like you kind of economic viability. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So like I was getting days off. I had staff. Like um, Nicole and I had taken a vacation, which is like it was. So we were like kind of humming, right? And um, they kind of knocked on our door um, and asked us what we thought about this kind of thing. And first, our first answer was like, no, you know, cause I, I don't really know Atlanta that well. And, but clearly I have a history of like going into cities where I don't know anybody. And so, <laughs> and so, um, and so I'm just trying to make friends and which is what we did in Charleston. So I was like, well, we built this great support network in Charleston of, of people who are frankly, some of the best in their field. Right. It's like we have Glenn Roberts and Craig Johnson and, and these, all these people who know a lot and who I learned a lot from, um, who really became really close friends and family of ours. It's like this, this was this was our little southern family that Nicole and I built. And so when they knocked on our door and, I mean, listen, Charleston's a wonderful town and I, I, it's like home to me in a lot of ways, but it's also like got serious infrastructural problems. I had, I had a 750 square foot brick building, cinder block building, and like the bakery floods, you know, like, and flooding in Charleston is a real, real problem. And so I was standing... The year before we moved, I was standing in front of the bakery and I had water up to right below my knee. Um, and I was just like, I'm not sure <laughs> I can I do can this do again because this. <laughs> this is tough. Like, this is really tough. I'm not sure if I was, you know, I'm not capitalized enough to do the kind of improvements to the building that I needed because we really bootstrapped this thing. So you were like, where's that cold collar developer? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I, and I had a relationship with the developer a little bit cause like, cause you know, like any business, it's, it's a collection of individuals. Right. And so I had a, I had a, I had a friend who kind of helped me see the value of a place like a place like a food hall. Right. Which is, cause I said like, I don't want to be, I said something, you know, sort of petulant. Like I don't want to be in your you know mall or something. Which I'm sure made them really mad. I don't but, want to be in your palace of gentrification. Yeah, right, Jay right. Crew. Yeah, and, and then I went on. And then I went on tour with Fugazi. And <laughs> so, you're like, cool, sold. <laughs> well, well, then and then I'll never forget what he told me. He's like, well, listen, like there's a community here. Like you gotta you gotta look at it, but you gotta squint a little bit. But there's there's a community here, and so then I started. I took a few trips up here, and, and yeah, I saw it. Like you see regulars. And you it's see, here. It's here. It, they it, are here. Like, yeah, it is, and it, and it's meant a lot to the city. It's a really interesting array of different restaurants and places like that. But what you entered into is uh, it's very, I mean, juxtaposed to the old bakery in Charleston. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a brand spanking new looking, very built out, very pretty, very retail oriented looking bakery. Yep. Um, that's got more food service and stuff like that, yep. right? You know, and. But still is facilitating a lot of um, wholesale. So it's always interesting to me because uh, this is a uh, – developers these days will entice us to go into these places. And often the rent's going to be higher in the end result. But they usually will take care of a lot of the build out. Yes. And really uh, come up to the table with money that we just do not have. And Well, um, frankly, nobody has, right? And nobody yeah, has. Nobody but they want to fill their spaces and – I mean, they'll basically, tenant improvement or TI money is kind of like a very long-term loan based on your lease. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't quite figured out whether it's a good thing or a bad thing yet. Well, I so I've, I wrestle with that too, but I think that there's this way in which like, so I was never, I was never, I never had the money. Like I couldn't have opened up a bakery in downtown Charleston. I couldn't, I, I no way. You know what I mean? We, Nicole and I are not that well capped. We just have, we're just like two young people with a, a bank loan, you know what I mean? And like, it's not going to look at us and be like, yeah, cool. Here's, you know, 400 grand or something, whatever it costs to, to do that. Right. And so like what we saw here was like a city that, um, we really liked, like we, and I, I'm, I don't mean to downplay this as some kind of like purely economic move. We came up here and we're like, this is where we should be. Like, this is, this is great. Like we, we feel very comfortable here and can see ourselves living here and we can always go back to Charleston. We need to see our friends and, so that's why we did it, frankly. So all, that's how these decisions work, of course. And so, but as far as like where we are now, I mean, like pe we get a lot of people who say like, what a weird place for a bakery. Cause we're next to like a sewing studio thing. And like, there's a food mall downstairs. You know what I mean? And so there's yeah, like, a, there's, second level. my so downstairs neighbor, my downstairs boards. neighbor is a William Sonoma. Right. And so like people tell me all the time, what a weird place this is for a bakery. And I'm like, well, you think this is weird? Like, 
I had a bakery next to a sign contractor. <laughs> so that's highway, a weird place for a bakery. Fireworks store. Yeah, like that's a weird place for a bakery. Like so weird that it wasn't even zoned for one. And so like, I think that, yeah. I, listen, I'm not sure the where, where. I, I think I think if you put something, I think if you put your vision into the world. And, and a vision that you share with talented people and you guys can rally, you folks can rally around that. I think that people will find it no matter where you are. And that's the lesson I learned from Charleston. It's like, I, we were in the middle of nowhere and people came out and found us. Right. And people will find you if you, you, you if try you and make resonate. make a spectacular product and, uh, well, and more maybe, so than that, you, mag- people are just magnetically able to find stuff that, that matters. Really I, I, and I think so, and that's and that's where that's where I come down on right. And every time I get down a little bit about like, oh man, like, jeez, oh, like this is just my my neighbor, my neighbors. I love William Sonoma. I'm sure they're they're great people, William Sonoma. But I'm like, this is just this huge retail store downstairs, and I'm like, this we are not that way. And no, so like I mean, we. And every time I get down about that, I'm like, you know what though? Like we have we have I know lots of people that come in here multiple times a week, and that matters. Like the the retail politics matters in this industry, in my opinion. But it is really it, it, we're you know bakeries and restaurants are really small margin. I think Williamson Sonoma has a little bit more clout than we yeah, do. Yeah, they're doing well. Yeah, but you know, I think I don't know. I. You heard, you heard about uh, what's that? What's that place in New York? That um, oh, Dina DeLuca. Yeah, yeah. The demise of Dina I, DeLuca. I never. I thought that place would never go out of business. I know, but how much truffle oil you have to sell? That's a lot. They left. They left a bakery. They owed a bakery like thirty-five grand. Did you how s- do you owe a bakery thirty-five? I, that's grand? a great question. That's a lot of I'm bread. chasing you down for four hundred bucks. I'm oh, chasing you down for fifty yeah. bucks. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading the New York Times about a chef who passed away way too early. Uh, named Elka, and she was a woman chef in um, San Francisco. Is really way way ahead of her time, but she, she was in her mid fifties when she passed away, and just recently. But so there's one quote in this obituary. Uh, it was a really great, beautifully written obituary, but it talked about nobody really understands the anxiety and stress of the restaurant business until you have to sell your car to make payroll um, mm-hmm. as a business owner. Yeah, and I kind of. Uh, and, but it's strange within the confines of some of these mixed-use developments and food halls that you have these massive brick-and-mortar chain-type places, and then you have these little mom-and-pops interspaced in there, too, who like barely get by, yeah. and you know, once in a yeah, while, things sure. like selling your car to make payroll really are yeah. true. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting you say that, too, because I, I, <laughs> that sort of resonates on a different level with me, because I, I had to sell my bicycle. We, we, I got ripped off by a contractor in Charleston guy took like i don't know 800 bucks or whatever and just didn't do the work and so we we, were, we came up like 800 short in our build out and that was like exactly what we kind of needed for our our first flower order right like a pallet of flowers what we needed to start and so i sold my bicycle that's like really i used to ride um quite i mean you know fairly seriously i guess and so like it was a really nice bicycle that i was really proud of and i was like i just, it's 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 got, I need flour. Like you have bakery that needs flour. About, uh, the yeah. Cutting the hair. The yeah. Or yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Same and so, type of thing. Well, but that's least. but that's what I, I think that like. But then and every time, I I am also of the firm belief that as as business owners like, you know, complaining with not complaining but like sort of, we rely on each other because we're all in the same, I mean, pretty terrible low margin ship, but also we all know and have this shared understanding how great it can be and how great it is fundamentally you wouldn't do it again unless we're a bunch of like maladjusted addicts or something i mean which hey, could be true too you know you know what i say all the time i'm like maybe i'll just become a dental hygienist yeah and dental hygiene is my code for saying i sometimes just want a job that's nine to five that i just don't have to worry about sure but i also home. think but i also think that like do you but right? i would die do you on really the of course you if would. i didn't do it of I course do. you would right and, and that's and that's what i mean and so like we we have asked for every problem that we have right and that's where i know but the anxiety chris i know it's the worst but it, but it's also i don't know i i there is well, we can talk about it i guess but like I, there is a way in which this business is is deeply misunderstood by like the public. I think probably you know it, it is romanticized in a way that like the economics, the economic realities of the business, and the the coverage of this business don't don't quite um, resonate as well. What do you charge for a croissant? Three dollars and twenty five cents. Do people complain about that? No, I think it's a fair price. 
So nobody complains. I'm not asking every, you whether every, you think it's no, appropriate. No, every every about. once in a while we get complaints about our our pricing on um, on laminated pastries and stuff. Every now and then, but it's listen, man. You don't need a croissant. Like we we actually we your croissants have like a pound of butter in each of them. <laughs> not that much. <laughs> not quite. But, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. But like, yeah. So we we don't charge. Our bread is quite reasonable, and it's organic, and it's all that kind of yada yada stuff. But like, and so we we keep our price of bread down, kind of on purpose. We make a little less margin on the bread for a reason that I believe that bread is a staple. Um, it's not dessert. You can't. I don't think. My my personal belief is that my the guy that hung the drywall, in the bakery, should be able to buy a loaf of bread. Right. I, I believe that, and so it needs to be somewhat accessible to like folks who who work. You know, working carhartts for a living, um, and so like the price of pastries though is like it has to reflect the cost of ingredients a little bit more because like you know butter is expensive and dairy farmers work really hard and so we I mean, all farmers work. A all cinnamon farmers roll working. is not a staple. Right, you don't need a cinnamon roll, but it's a treat, and sometimes it's good for you wholesomely and all that kind of thing. But pop tarts, pop tarts are staples. Yeah, absolutely. Or I tell myself that. Yeah, you you have a box of pop tarts right now. No, I don't. <laughs> <just> Pretend. <laughs> I have some polio cheese. Polio. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, it's going well. I mean, you got nominated on the long list for a James Beard Award this year. Sure. Uh, which is, uh, to me, a recognition that you firmly deserve and I don't think you really care about, which is no. beautiful at the same time. <laughs> well, it's because, it's like I said earlier, it's like we're a baking, bread bakers are, like, I'm, I'm also sort of like, I'm kind of like media allergically i'm not online in a way that's like at all accessible and so but also you're not bread daddy 547 oh that is me yeah oh sorry yeah no <laughs> just kidding that's not me bread daddy. <laughs> that's, that's, there's there i think there's someone on oh i'm sure there yeah is. oh that's don't don't google that don't search bread daddy <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be a super weird google search but i think that there's like a way in which uh you know so i mean I think I'm proud of the bread we make and um and and all the food we make frankly but you know bread bakers are not we're not used to being in the same kind of conversations as chefs like chefdom or chef culture or kitchen culture is not not our own you know it's weird our our rhythms are different our just we're just different folks you know and so the same kind of media or recognitions that chefs tend to value a little bit more bakers aren't quite as interested in because like I mean this is a one of the oldest professions there is. They're and also so, generally up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, like waking up to the French Canadian national anthem, right, right. llamas, and this is just dogs. yeah, and this is just like this is growing. just not the kind of job where you expect to like every bread you've done has been done by some has been done better by somebody that existed hundreds of years before you. And so, in baking, that's a very apparent thing because. It's like an everyday thing. It's like being a farmer, a dairy farmer. You're getting up every day to milk cows and stuff. It's funny when you talk about bread. I mean, it, because it's so simple. I mean, foods, I don't know, has food advanced and gotten better? I, I think overall it has, I guess. There's definitely been a revolution in the way we look at food and how we cook it as chefs. But bread's kind of, it's still the quest just to make the best bread. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, and But that hasn't changed in like 2,000 years. Exactly. And the, the only thing that's changed, I think, in... And in baking, there's is in baking particularly. There's you know, there's not much not much new under the sun, right? It's, 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 baking feels the reason we feel a little bit closer to farms is it feels a little bit more like a trade because um, it's sort of a commodity that people take for granted, like like cabinets are and tables, right? And every once in a while, someone will really admire a well built table or a well built you know chair or something. But like, and every once in a while, someone will admire a really beautifully crafted loaf of bread. But generally speaking. I understand that this is going to be sliced up and made for a salami sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever it's going to be. And so, like, with that in mind, I still want whoever whomever's having that sandwich to have the best possible bread for that sandwich. Well, it's, that's an interesting equation to product lines overall. Like, woodworking, I mean, there's particle board cabinets, which are definitely going to be 95% of mm -hmm. what's out there. And then there's a, there's a person who can carves everything in a small workshop. Sure. And I much more equate what you do 
to that side of this. Yeah, spectrum. and we and we right because the particle board stuff is mass produced and stuff. You brought up that you still think the brand is necessarily a staple, and yeah. you want the drywall installer to be able to afford that too. So there's something. Yeah, well, it has to. It has to be because like Tom Tom Leonard likes to say like bread is not dessert, and to charge to charge to charge for a loaf of bread what you would for panna cotta is not in 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 my opinion, you know, not not how I want to do things, and so like. I, I think that we we as bakers kind of have a very, in some level, have a deep understanding of how folks use this stuff. It's going to be a piece of toast, you know. Yeah. It's going to be like so. And w- will that? W- <laughs> yeah, listen. Which, in so many different ways, it's going to be toast. Yeah, is could be bad thing. Right, right. Like your toast. It's good toast. It's really you know, good, it's toast. good toast. Right. Or but, there's also a toast to someone. That's a really multi-defined word. Yeah. Well, I multi-defined. What's that word? Has many meanings. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But I'm gonna go make some toast. I like toast. Well, I think I think that like we because we have that understanding. There's a certain amount of like uh, recognition's great, and you know I'm glad people think we're doing a nice job. But like, you know, uh, we. You're not in it to win the no, Olympics. Well, there's no winning at this, and there's no winning at business, right? Like, there's just no, like I, it's, I, it's just the ongoing. There's just wake the up next day. <laughs> it's just like the the number one joke people tell me is like, right? Time to make the time donuts, right? Make yeah, the donuts. and I get that. I've heard that like yeah. a million times. But there's a certain truth in it. Do you ever just kick them in the shins? Yeah. No. You should. Well, you know. I'm not trying to be arrested for assault and stuff. Well, know. no, we don't want that. Yeah. I actually just want you to continue making great bread. Thank you. And, I uh, will. And for your far, uh, far-flung do you want, crazy interest in hobbies. Do you want to talk about Bob Knight? Yeah, let's end with Bob Knight. <laughs> okay, here's the Bob thing. Bob Knight is the uh, one of the most accoladed basketball coaches in Indiana history, in basketball history. He was then He's, Texas yeah. Tech after that. Yeah. He also is a nightmare of a human. Yep. Uh, Bob, if you're listening, yep. uh, you are a nightmare of a human. Everybody knows that. Even you know that. I'm fascinated by him. I'm fascinated by him. He's consumed with excellence, and he's also insane. And consumed with rage. And consumed with himself. And yeah. consumed with himself. Yeah. Uh, is he one of the best basketball coaches yes, ever? Yes, has to be. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're like, How so, many championships does IU win under Bob Knight? Five, uh, four, right? Really? Three. Wow. Three. No, yeah, they have, what, they have, they have five stars. Coach K. Hey, Coach K played for Bob Knight. So, yeah, Coach K is a product of Army. And guess who was coaching an Army? Robert Montgomery Knight. Again, I'm not apologizing. Oh, yeah. You know his middle name. That's of course. So Dude, I, I love Indiana. <laughs> I love the state of Indiana, and I love basketball. And so, like, of course... Like, but I have also like, I do not like his politics. I don't like the way he treats human beings. I don't like the way, like, you know, he's he choked a kid. <laughs> he choked his own son. No, no, was, no, no, no. It was a different play. No, he threw a chair. It's arguably the chair. The chair. The chair came up a lot. The chair. Listen, you know what? He didn't hit anybody <laughs> that yeah, I knew. No, right, I but know, I but he, he did choke son. a kid, and now he you can't do that, and you can't talk to people the way he talks to people, but. Listen, and also I don't. His politics are trash. However, uh, I admire his his basketball mind. Like you admired Gerard's baking skills. Yes, people Think people are uh, people contain, you know, there multitudes. Are, there are here. multitudes of personalities within this world. Absolutely, Chris Wilkins, keep on baking good bread. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks.